You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Corey Johnson and Kush Parikh. Be sure to check us out weekly on Tuesdays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds on Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Face all your fears, drink it at me. There's so many donuts on them back streets. Sit so high in the nosebleeds. Feel like I can fly. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds podcast. That's K N O W S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy Kush, and I'm here with my co-host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, my man, how are you doing? Good man, good man. Uh, feels like it's been a long week, but it's only been a few days. This is crazy, but uh, nah, it's 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 been uh, it's just been a really weird week for me. But uh, uh, other than that, I mean, it's 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 just good to be back on the show. Good to be back talking sports, and good to be back uh, on the nosebleeds. Yeah, sir. Y'all done with school now, huh? So you got you on officially on summer break. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's couldn't have come at a better time to be honest with you because you got the NBA playoffs right now, Stanley Cup playoffs going on right now. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 perfect to be honest with you because I'm able to kind of you know obviously you know while working still trying to you know, watch and pay attention and see what's going on and see what's happening keep up with everything and all the drama that's happening, even NFL drama that's happening too. Yeah, we're going to cover all that this episode, but let's start off with on this day, May 28th, happy birthday, Jerry West, the logo as he is known in the NBA. Um, He was born 1938 and he played 14 years for the Lakers In all his years for the Lakers. He made all-star appearances, won an NBA championship, 12 time, all NBA player, five time, all defensive player. And then he went to coaching, coached the Lakers for three years and then went the executive route, uh, was the executive for the Lakers, Grizzlies, Warriors and Clippers and where he won uh, eight NBA championships as an executive. So man, Jerry West, the logo, What's your uh, thoughts and outlook on his career, my man? I mean, it's kind of funny how, if you low-key think about it, uh, Jerry West's uh, NBA career, a little bit, like, more so the lows than obviously the highs, makes me think of uh, LeBron, to be honest with you, because the dude had, like, so many different times where he was getting to the finals, and just kept running into the Celtics and just didn't seem like he was going to be able to get over the hump, but then finally was able to get that elusive championship and able to, you know, uh, finally get over and get that monkey off his back. But um, I think that Jerry West kind of gets slept on as far as an NBA legend, just because of the fact of the era that he played in. And then obviously um, the fact that the, the, the league was still so fairly, you know, new and it wasn't at, on such a, a mainstream level like it is today. Yeah. I mean, he, even off the court, when he was an executive, he did crazy things for the Lakers. He was the one who got Kobe Bryant, traded Vladi Divac for him, uh, ended up getting Shaq. And then the Grizzlies put that grit and grind Grizzlies team together, put that Warriors championship team together. And then he's put the Clippers basically back on the map. So, I mean, even 
not even while he's playing, he's still making impacts uh, for teams. And that tallied him up to eight NBA championships. So the logo, and I know there's been controversy. Well, not really. I wouldn't say it's controversy, but there's been talks about maybe even changing the logo. And and they were talking about Kobe Bryant. And even he said, he said, I'm all for changing the logo uh, to Kobe Bryant. What's your thoughts on that? I think uh, he probably doesn't. He said it like multiple times. He hates the fact that, you know, he is, he's, the logo because i think uh in some cases you know he probably doesn't feel like he deserves it because like i said like all the different things that happened throughout his career um while being a player but uh i think uh whether they decide to change it or not i think that would probably be something that the nba would probably have to look on and probably have to figure out whether or not they want to do that um and whether or not they decide it to be kobe or you know michael jordan or whoever um, I think that's something that they would really have to seriously look at. And it couldn't just be something I think that the fans would vote on. I think it would have to be something like, because if you think about it, the NBA is obviously a brand, right? So you think about it, you know, you want this not to just be like, this isn't just like a logo. This is like a company, a billion dollar company logo. So you want to make sure that that is not only representing your company to the fullest, but it represents, you know, you as a brand and it's shining you know, a positive light on your company. You don't want any sort of, you know, negativity to come with it. So I think that the NBA, if they decide to change it, that would have to be a decision that would be thoroughly discussed and thoroughly uh, vetted. And it couldn't just be something that's uh, based off of how the fans feel, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, since we're on the topic of the NBA, we got the playoffs going on. We're in the midst of round one, so let's get straight into it. Let's talk about probably the biggest headline going on right now, and that's the Los Angeles Clippers. They're down 0-2 to Dallas. They dropped both their home openers uh, to the Mavericks, game one, 113-103, and then game two, 127-121. And, I mean, it seems like Luka Doncic and Tim Hardaway Jr. is having their way offensively with this Clippers team, who ranked eighth in the league in defensive rating. And now if you look at them in the playoffs so far, they're dead last in terms of defensive rating amongst the teams in the playoffs. And just listen to these averages. Luka's averaging 35 points, eight and a half rebounds, nine assists on 51% from the field, 42% from three-pointer. Tim Hardaway Jr. averaging 24 and a half, two and a half rebounds and three assists on 63% from the field and 65% from three. So both those guys are going ballistic and the Clippers are finding themselves down 0-2 after the first two games. So, Corey, are the Clippers in trouble? I would say they're only in trouble because of the fact of the the situation that they're in. Obviously, the Mavericks just need to win two more games and the Clippers now have to win four. Um, But I think that the whole situation with the Clippers is that they just need to, to figure it out. And I think that they need to not allow themselves to get beaten by Luca essentially, because I feel like Luca is the one that is the centerpiece that's killing them on almost every possession. It feels like, and he's able to find the open teammates and credit to the Mavericks. I mean, early on in the season, they were one of the worst three point shooting teams in the league and they have been lighting it up against the Clippers in the playoffs so far and have just been raining three after three after three. And that's why they find themselves in the position that they're in. And I think what's really going to help them is um, if they're able to just get one of these games at home 
and put the Clippers in a 3-0 or a 3-1 series deficit. Yeah, I think so far this series, the Clippers have been getting outmatched offensively, defensively, and coaching-wise. And for the Mavericks, it feels like Luke is really getting whatever look he wants at the rim. And, I mean, that rim is looking as big as a swimming pool right now for for that team. Um, And the thing is, is that not a lot of people know this, but the in the first two games both in the second half the clippers held luca four for ten eight points both both games so i mean it seems like they're adjusting to luca but it's just he's been making plays as uh for for his teammates and his teammates are knocking down a shot you guys you got guys like josh richardson who shot 33 percent from three this season he's knocking down threes and then you have uh chris Porzingis making crazy threes from deep bouncing off the back rim and then going 10 feet up in the air and dropping back in so i mean it's tough they can't catch a break but uh defensively the mavericks have done a good job defending i guess you could say the three-pointer this season versus the clippers but i mean when your offense is this insanely efficient and good you don't really need to play much defense um while they're playing at this pace and as for the clippers someone not named Kawhi leonard and paul george needs to step up in game two the only other player in double figures was reggie jackson and they still managed to score 121 points. So that just goes to show that those guys are literally trying to put the team on their back, especially Kawhi Leonard, who dropped 41 points in game two. And the biggest guy, in my opinion, that I think needs to step up is Marcus Morris. He shot 46% from three-pointer this season, which is fourth best in the NBA. And he shot only 18% this series. And he struggled to guard Luka this series. He fouled out last game in game two. So and and he was their primary defender on Luca uh, last year in the bubble. So the Clippers are going to need everything from uh, Marcus Morris that they can get because, I mean, they paid him big time this offseason, so they really need him. And then when, when it comes to Patrick Beverly, Luca feels like he's getting his – he's having his way with Patrick Beverly. And I think that in terms of an adjustment – Ty Lue probably needs to start Rondo for game three and have Pat Beverly come off the bench when either Kawhi or PG comes off the court to be that defender off the bench. But I, I, it, it's tough right now because remember, the Clippers wanted this matchup to avoid the Lakers when they quote-unquote tanked the last two games of the season. And I said it when the season ended. I really wish the Clippers matched up against the Blazers, but now it's time for the Clippers really to put up or shut up because right now they're making it awfully hard to be a Clippers fan, but I'm somewhat immune to this shit just because of last year what happened against the Nuggets. So we'll see. Game three is going to be a huge, huge game for both these teams, and that's going on Friday night. All right, let's move on. We Let's move on to the Eastern Conference. We got the Heat versus the Bucks, and the Heat right now are down 0-3 against the Bucks, with the last two games being absolute blowouts. Game one was 109-107. to The Bucks won in overtime. Game two is 132-98, to and then game three was 113-84. to And the Heat, they're just one game away from getting swept and they looked outmatched in each and every way. And a lot of the people are saying that the heats running the playoff last year was a fluke. And I remember you said that before the season even started, Corey, you weren't even high on the heat. So why are the heat struggling so much this playoffs compared to last year? I think it has something to do with the fact that they got a really bad matchup. Uh, obviously with the Milwaukee bucks, a team that ironically enough, they, we're making uh look 
really we're, we're having uh, in like a similar situation just a season ago. It felt like the Bucks just could not figure out how to solve the heat. And then obviously Giannis goes down with the injury and it was pretty much, <laughs> it was pretty much the Bucks really were trying to do all they could, but uh, ultimately the Heat were able to get past them and get, uh, uh, and move on from that series. But I think uh, it didn't help the fact that they got matched up with this team. It didn't help the fact that they're going up against a team that has not one, not two, but you could say three guys who can create offense and, that's huge because a season ago they really only had you could say two sometimes one and a half (laughs) (laughs) because you know you obviously have Giannis and then depending on what day it is of the week Chris Middleton can decide to be Chris Middleton or he could decide that he wants to be Michael Red you know I mean it really depends but um ultimately they just didn't have enough weapons and this year not only do they have the weapons to go at you offensively, but they also have the weapons to go at you defensively. And I think that's huge because they basically have the same team, but Drew Holiday has made a big difference. He's not Eric Bledsoe at all. He's not as scary Terry likes to call him Drew Bledsoe. But uh, I think that Drew Holiday has made a huge difference because it reminds me of that playoff series where the Pelicans were able to take down the Portland Trailblazers a few years ago. Um, and that was 80s, you know, first playoff success that he had and ironically enough it came with drew holiday and drew holiday did a number on both cj mccullum and damian lillard and really outplayed both those guys and in this series you could say that he's been if not the best player you could say he's been at least in the top three best players of this series and i feel like he's made such a big difference as far as um, hounding Jimmy Butler on the defensive end, making it, uh, creating offense on the offensive end, whether it's making shots or whether it's creating offense for other guys and um, hitting the open guy. He's just another guy on the floor that you have to be aware of. And I think it doesn't help if you look at the heat where this season they got off to a slow start, obviously because of the injuries and obviously with, you know, shortened preseason, but everybody had to go through that. I feel like with the shortened preseason, but it feels like the heat just got, you know, caught up in the fact that they you know made such a long playoff run and their reward was hey season starts uh, tomorrow essentially and so they got banged up early never really got healthy and their guys I feel are just not playing confidently I feel like a lot of the, the the pressure is on Jimmy Butler to create majority of the offense and try to create nothing into something and they're just looking for anything and everything to try to just fall for them whether it be you know, driving to the rack to get layups, whether it be fadeaway jumpers, whether it be three-pointers, they just can't hit nothing at this point in time. And the funny thing is, Kush, is that game three, the Bucks didn't even play well. <laughs> the Heat just played worse. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like, the Bucks didn't shoot all that great, but the Heat shot absolutely poorly. And so when that happens, I mean, you can be able to get away with it. But ultimately, I think that this kind of just shows that I don't want to say that last year was necessarily a fluke because we can always kind of say like, oh, you know, this was a fluke. That was a fluke. But I feel like they, the heat were just, they got hot at the right time and they also definitely benefited from the bubble. I remember Jason Tatum had a, had a sit down and he was talking about how some guys were playing absolutely out of their mind and playing way better than they normally play. And it was funny enough because people felt like he was kind of throwing shade at Tyler hero and a lot of people have been saying that Tyler Hero's kind of gotten exposed this season. He's not all that. And um, 
you know, essentially, you know, maybe he's not the guy who a lot of people were hyping him up to be that he, you know, was playing like last season. And I feel like he's just kind of going through a sophomore slump. I feel like the Heat in general, uh, their entire season was kind of based around their core group of guys having so much success last year. You take that success away and their identity as a team is not the same. And ultimately, I think that this is going to be a a big time reality check for them, because when you look at the Eastern Conference, the the East is really shaping into something kind of crazy. If uh, if you if you just blink, the Knicks can all of a sudden, you know, turn into something based off the momentum they have from this season. The Hawks are a decent team. Uh, the Pacers are going to try to, you know, do are always going to be competitive too. And so, and Chicago, Chicago's coming, you know, there's a lot of different teams that are on the rise. And so, I mean, if you're the heat, you really need to understand that um, we're getting our asses kicked this year, but we need to make sure that this doesn't continue to be the norm and we're not just getting bounced out in the first round. Yeah, a couple things. I think, yeah, you're you're absolutely right that they did not get a favorable matchup with uh, the Milwaukee Bucks because if you look at the statistics, they're holding the Heat to a playoff low of 96.3 points per game and 38% from the field. So, I mean, along with the good defense, you mentioned that you got Giannis Middleton, Brooke Lopez, and Drew Holiday is the main, main addition for them this season. But along with the good defense, it seems like every single game besides game one, but even game one to a certain extent, that there's a lid on the rim and they just can't get any good looks at the rim and counteract that with their poor shooting. It's not, it's a recipe for disaster, which we're seeing unfold in front of our eyes right now. But uh, absolutely. I think, I, I think one thing we don't talk about with the Miami heat is the amount of turnaround on their bench from this entire season. Yeah. They had the injuries, they had the COVID uh, issues, all that stuff, the entire roller coaster. I'm not negating that, but Outside of really Goran Dragic and Kendrick Nunn off their bench, the entire bench has changed. If you look, they they lost. Uh, they have Dwayne Dedman now. They have uh, Andre Iguodala. They have Trevor Ariza. Guys that came in the middle of the season that I don't know necessarily if they got to mesh with one another, and that could be a reason why they're they're struggling. I mean, I I know the starters are struggling like Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, but when your stars are st- struggling you need your guys on your bench to you know lift and pick up that weight and that just hasn't happened this entire series and there's two big reasons that I'm looking at why they're not the same team as last year one because like I mentioned they're playing a hell of a Bucks team which have been staunch on defense and then two I'm not saying he would have completely flipped the script of this entire series or not but obviously Victor Oladipo is out and that's another guy that would lift off a load off of Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Gore Drogic, Kendrick Dunn, like those type of guys. So that's really tough. And then they went ahead and traded guy like Kelly Olynyk, who's one of the best big men shooters in the entire league. And I'm not saying he would have flipped the script, but I'm saying if you have Kelly Olynyk, seen a couple of them go down, it can be a domino effect and could just lead to the entire team, you know, start making shots or whatever the case may be, or stretch that defense out. So it, it definitely is not ideal for them. That trade, looking in hindsight, obviously when the trade went down, we're like, ah, shit, the Heat are about to be sick now. They got Victor Oladipo, a great two-way player, and obviously him being off for the season. And then see, actually seeing how Kelly Olenek did towards the end of the season with the Rockets, homeboy was hooping. Like, he was going mm-hmm. off. So it's definitely tough, and um, I don't think anybody anticipated the Heat being down 3-0. I had this series going seven games, and I had this – being a must-watch series, but yeah, I thought it'd be a lot more competitive than what it is. But I think that just goes to show 
like I was talking about with uh, Drew Holiday, his impact, I feel like he's been the reason why this is 3-0. Because like I said, it, this this series just reminds me of the of that Pelicans versus Trailblazers series where it felt like the, the, the game plan was clearly we don't want Dane to beat us, so we're going to double-team Dane, get the ball out of his hands, and then force the other guys to have to beat us. This series is pretty much Jimmy Butler, we know, is not a guy who can just, you know, go get hot and get crazy from three. So majority of his points come from mid-range or layups in, in that nature. And Jimmy works so hard on the defensive end that when he comes in onto the offensive end, the dude's like, he's dead tired. Like, he's just, he's just, he's just tired. I don't know if he has enough in him to be able to, to do all that. And then on the same token, you know, when you got all the other guys, like you said, struggling too, it's a recipe for a disaster. So the Heat really just, they're not living up to their name at all. They are not on fire. They have no heat whatsoever. They've just gone extremely cold. And it doesn't seem like anything's warming up anytime soon. Yeah. And as we know in the NBA, no team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit. So we'll see if the Heat are the first team to do it. But I highly doubt it. But um, game four is going to be Saturday morning. So stay tuned for that. Next up, we got the Suns and the Lakers. The Lakers are up 2-1 in the series. Game one, Suns won 99-90. Game two, the Lakers won 109-102. And then game three, the Lakers won again 109-95. But I think the biggest headline for this entire series has been Chris Paul and him going down game one with that shoulder injury. And in the last two games, game two and game three, he's been out pretty much the entire fourth quarter after going down and he has not been the same Chris Paul since that injury. So Corey are the Suns in trouble with a banged up Chris Paul. Oh, absolutely. And the reason I say that is because even though like he could still have CP three on the bench and he could still be a coach from the bench, essentially that doesn't do anything for you because he's, he's doing exactly what Monty Williams is doing. So I'm like, that doesn't do anything for you. If he, if CP three is on the sidelines, cause I mean, as much as he can, you know, co- try to coach up book, try to coach up all the young guys and try to tell them where they need to be, what they need to do. It's one thing somebody telling you, it's another thing somebody showing you on the court. So CP3 definitely needs to be on the floor for the Suns to be able to be the Suns, especially in the playoffs, because we know regular season, the young guys shine. Regular season is when you get the, the fancy plays from, you know, some of the younger guys in the league and where you can kind of get away with, uh, you know, not doing you know, the, uh, the little things are to get away from, you know, the experience necessarily not mattering, I would say, but in the playoffs experience is always going to be a key factor and the Suns, it just looks like they're playing two different games when they played against the Lakers in game one, they look like a totally different team compared to these past two games. And what I mean by that is, is that they look like they're extremely frustrated and like, they just cannot seem like they can't like, get a run going to where they, uh, they 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 can get a lead enough, big enough to where it's like a 10-point deficit or whatever. They seem like they're chasing the game more so than they're going toe-to-toe with the Lakers. They're, they're not going tit-for-tat. It seems like they're always trying to play catch-up. And when you try to play catch-up against the defending, you know, champs and you play catch-up against a guy like LeBron that's been in the playoffs several years and – knows what it takes to win, knows what it takes to get to the finals. And then you got another top tier player in Anthony Davis, who, oh, by the way, in game three had a triple double. <laughs> so almost, I mean, they, almost. 
Oh, almost had almost had a triple double, but I mean, like, it's just always going to be difficult. And when you look at it on paper, if you look at the Suns lineup and you look at the majority of their players uh, outside of Devin Booker, um, I would say you know everything else is a wash. But like, uh, except obviously you would take AD over Aiton, I think. But everything else, I feel like, is wash. And once it comes down to it one team has LeBron the other team doesn't and I feel like if CP3 would have been there I'm not saying it would have been a wash between you know LeBron and CP3 but I'm just saying that the basketball IQ wise I think that's that's very those two can go at it and you could definitely see the the chess match between those two and with him not being there it's just not it's not it's not good enough if you're trying to get past a team like the Lakers in the first round. And I feel like this, uh, this is also kind of showing the the difference, I think, between uh, both of these teams, because the Lakers been banged up majority of the season. And you could argue they're not really 100% healthy, but they're doing whatever it takes, grinding it through and just being able to get uh, through these past couple of games and, and, and do whatever it takes to be able to win. Um, and I think that what the Suns kind of need to do is, is they kind of need to speed the game up. They need to change the pace because the Lakers want to do one thing and one thing only, and that's get the ball inside, whether it's LeBron driving to the inside, whether it's them finding AD on a cut, them finding him on a screen or something like that. Um, they want to get the ball inside because they know, that's their bread and butter. And they know that they know nobody can prevent them from getting to the rack. Whereas the Suns, I think they need to force more turnovers and get the game kind of sped up. So that way you can kind of force the old legs and the, you know, more experienced legs of the Lakers to kind of have to, to adapt and, and, and try to be chasing the game a little bit more. But other than that, I think that this series has really just come down to, like I said, one team has a little bit more experience than the other. And it's really shown on the court. Yeah, it just seems like one team is gaining more and more momentum, whereas the team is stalling out. And obviously, that's a big credit to CB3 not being there. But um, I just feel like with the Lakers, they're so banged up that it just feels like they're but they're still getting whatever they want inside the paint. And I mean, DeAndre Ayton's not really known to be that rim protector, and they don't really have anybody else off the bench to do that. But, um, I mean, Mikhail Bridges can only do so much. And they got Jay Crowder on Anthony Davis. So, I mean, they're throwing the entire kitchen at the at this Lakers team. But it's just been an absolute defensive matchup. And it's just been whoever's smarter, whoever's taking the care of the ball more. And it just seemed at one point in game three that the Lakers were – I think they were up by 18 or 19. And they just started having fun with it, which is a scary thing to see if you are an opposing fan for the Lakers. I mean, granted – the Suns and this is the thing this is where they miss CP3 a lot they ended up cutting that 18 point lead down to a five point lead in within mm-hmm. the last two minutes of the game so I mm-hmm. mean it, it it shows like if you have CP3 in this fourth quarter that become yeah because I was I was busy watching the I'll be honest with you I stopped watching uh as it got later on in the game I started watching Nuggets uh Trailblazers and even when it got to a five point game I'm like I'm not turning over there because I know they don't Devin Booker at that point, I think he was at, I think he had gotten ejected, right? He got so ejected I, for, he got a flagrant too, and then Jay Crowder yeah, got ejected yeah, after that. So at that but point, I think at that at point, that, it was like a 10-point game. Oh, okay, okay. But, like, even though like, it, it was close, I still didn't feel like they were going to be able to come back just because 
like I just felt like the Lakers they 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 knew what they had to do as far as even if the game gets tight, even if it gets close, w- one team is going to get nervous or not nervous necessarily, but one team is just gonna inexperienced. Yeah, get tightened up. Yeah, yeah. Like there's difference between I think good players and great players, and the difference between is that good players kind of tighten up a little bit and the pressurized moments kind of get a little bit too much for them. Great players embrace them. Legend, legendary players, they love those moments because those are their mo- Those are the moments where you make your name. Those are the moments where you separate yourself from everybody else because you're able to have that defining moment or be able to make that big shot or be able to step up in the clutch or be able to push your team over the hump and be the difference maker on who wins and who loses. And I feel right now one team has that, the other team doesn't. Yeah, it's tough to see because, I mean, it all comes back to CP3. In game two, I feel like it was a five-point game, but that's because it ended up becoming a free throw competition towards the end of the game. And then this game, when they cut it down to a five-point deficit, it it, it just sucks if you're a Suns fan or, like, if you just love to watch basketball that. And the thing is, is I hate to say it, but I kind of saw a CP3 injury coming. This guy is always just just injury – he's just cursed with injuries whether it's playoffs whether it's regular season but mostly in the playoffs i've i've seen it for years being a clippers fan so it's <laughs> brutal and then for him to not get injured at all last year in okc for him to be healthy this damn near this entire season with the suns at the age he's at i'm just like dude there's no way that he can stay healthy i mean i'm praying that he does stay healthy because if there's one player in the NBA that I really want to see a ring, it's it's Chris Paul. I think he's mm-hmm. one of the most deserving guys to win a ring, mm-hmm. um, and it will definitely put him in that top five conversation for, for greatest definitely point guard. Puts you in a, definitely puts him in, a, in another uh, in another breed in another bracket. But even without without the ring, I mean, the the credibility and the the longevity and even just the amount of the level of impact. Oh, absolutely. I think he's had on different teams at the age well. of what 35 36 <laughs> yeah like so, he's, I mean, he's still the 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 thing I, I i'll say is is that when we talk about uh last season compared to this season i think he definitely benefited from the 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 whole stoppage of play and them being able to have those long months and that long month break in between which is basically almost like a second off season for him to be able to you know rest up his body and be able to get it ready for when they started back up again in the bubble. So I think that was definitely a huge benefit for OKC at the time when they were, uh, you know, battling in the, in the postseason. But I feel like this year with it being 72 games, a long season, grueling season, fighting nonstop day in and day out, trying to get, uh, you know, one of the top seeds in the West. I mean, that's always going to be a difficult situation once it comes playoff time, but um, if the Suns are able to make a comeback, it's definitely got to be uh, in game four. Because if they go down 3-1, then I kind of just don't – I just don't see it happening. Because I think I've had this being a gentleman's sweep, but I'm not sure. I can't remember what I had it this being. But I think – I gave the Suns one game, but I felt like the Lakers were going to just be too much for them. Uh, well, I mean, good news for CP3 is that they do have two days off, and the next game is going to be on Sunday at noon. So – Never know within those two days what ha- what can happen because uh, the the Suns really 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 need CP three. 
Let's move on back to the Eastern Conference. We got the Knicks and the Hawks. This is arguably the best series in the playoffs so far we could be seeing. Uh, definitely in the Eastern Conference, I would say. Um, but this series is tied right now. Hawks winning game one, 107 to 105. They had that Trey Young game winner. And then the Knicks coming back to win game two, 101 to 92. Corey, is this the best series in the playoffs so far? I definitely feel like this is the most competitive series as far as two teams just going at each other's throats and slapping each other around. And it's going to be that way because you have a coach in Tom Thibodeau that literally is going to force his team to battle, fight, claw, scrap. And I feel like New York fans are like right around with them because they're over here spitting on people. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck, yo? It's not a good look. Not a good look at all. What the heck? But I don't know. I, I, I guess you could say the the Knicks fans that just missed the playoffs so uh, so much that they don't know how to act now that they're back in. <laughs> but ultimately, I think that uh, this series is going to be interesting because you have Trey Young who you could maybe make a case is probably, I don't want to say necessarily the best player, but you could say on paper he could be just because of his name alone and the numbers that he puts up. But on the opposite end, you could say the Knicks, I think team-wise, the, the, the biggest difference I think team-wise is that Knicks don't have shooters like the Hawks do. That's the biggest difference I feel. I feel like the the Knicks have guys that can potentially score and guys who can put the ball in the hole, like Randall, um, Rose. I Those guys there. can definitely – yeah, yeah. They can definitely get a bucket if they need be. But as far as a shooter, as far as a guy who can just they, go out – They and got just, a couple, not, but, yeah, they're not known to yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. But it, it's funny because that that's very similar to the – you know, the the – the culture, if you will, of, of New York basketball, not really known for, you know, big time shooters, but athleticism, getting to the rim, you know, being able to score. New York's all about that. That's New York basketball. But the finesse level game is definitely in favor of Atlanta. And I feel like um, I think the Knicks win this if they kind of muck this up, if they kind of like really if, if we get a fight. I wouldn't be shocked at all if we if we get some coming together or some, you know, trash talking or something like that happening at some point in the series, just because it's so even it's so close between both of these teams. Who would I fight think. on the Hawks, though? That's who who, who, do you think, who do you think would step up and fight? Because I, I know I, I know on uh, on the Knicks side, they got some. They dogs. got like so many guys that want to fight. <laughs> well, would you say John Collins? I think John Collins would yeah, be about yeah, it. Yeah, I think Tony John Snell. <laughs> Yeah, Tony Snell, yeah, yeah. Outside of them, I really don't see anybody that's about that action. (laughs) Hey, I mean, Trey Young might try to step somebody. (laughs) But ultimately, like I said, I feel like this is going to come down to – it might come down to, like, just, like, those little plays, like diving for loose balls and, you know, trying to just – who wants it more, essentially, and and who's willing to – you know, do what it takes, you know, getting a rebound late in the game or something like that, fighting for an extra possession, taking a charge, you know, all that little, little stuff that those, uh, those little fundamental stuff that you learn early on about basketball. Um, but I, I think that would I be surprised at all if the Hawks win this? No. The reason I have the Knicks winning is just because I think they have 
a coach that I know is is experienced in these moments uh, and they have players that I think are willing to do whatever it takes to win. So whether it be getting attacked, getting a, a flagrant, they'll do whatever it takes that they need to do to win. And I think that they need to be a little bit more physical, especially when it comes to Trey Young. And I'm not saying go out and hurt somebody, but I'm just saying, hey, if you got to take a hard foul, you got you got you got five of them. You got five of them. So, I mean, like, if you got to take a hard foul. You know that that's their go-to guy. If you remove him from, uh, you know, if you take out Trey Young, as far as the, who's, who's going to be the go-to scorer for the Hawks, that's an interesting scenario uh, for, for Atlanta. Yeah. comes down late in the game. Am I talking to Sean Payton right now? The same scandal <laughs> going on? Nah. Trying to go nah, for people? Not at, not at all. I'm just saying. No, nah, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying as far as, like, the, the mentality of it all, the Knicks have to have that mentality of we're willing to do whatever it takes. Ha- hey, it's funny enough that I'm saying this, like they got to have that, those Charles Oakley. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, no. they got to have that, 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 that mentality of like, hey, we're not going to take any of your crap and we're going to just, you know, shove this right down your throat. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting real Chicago Bulls vibe, and yeah, I know that's because Tom Thibodeau, but you got he got Derrick Rose out here playing 39 minutes, got Taj Gibson playing 30 minutes. So it's it's real Chicago Bull vibes out here in New York. But um I in my opinion, I think this is the best series so far. Just cause which is crazy because this is probably the least star-studded matchup in the entire playoffs when you look at it on paper. Um, but I think along with the back and forth and scoring in the game and the constant close games and the series, I think the series intensifies even more and is heightened because of all, all the non-basketball stuff that's involved in the series. And what I mean by that is obviously the garden hating on Trey young and booing on him. And then Trey young right after literally hitting a game winner and saying it's quite as fucking here. So <laughs> I, I mean, and then like you mentioned the fans spitting on Trey young mid game. And then after game two, you had the freaking Knicks fans throwing a championship parade in the middle of the street after winning their first playoff game in eight years. So, and then you got Trey like Young. Said, they don't know how to act. They don't know how to act. That's what I'm saying. Then you got Trey Young saying, see you in the A. And then I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but Nick's guard, Reggie Bullock, he went on Twitter and was talking about he wants all the smoke in Atlanta. So, I mean, it, it's just, it, it's crazy. I, I love to see it as a basketball fan. I, I really love to see it because this is really just hard-nosed basketball, intense basketball being played. And then I would have thought that the, the Hawks and the Knicks would low-key be trying to develop a little rivalry i know I, I mean i love it i love it. you love to see it the little rivalries outside the historic rivalries i mean these could turn historic never know but you love to see it but i don't know it's been super fun following the series and i hope these two teams could really keep it up at this level i i had this series going six games to the knicks and it's still possible but i'm rooting for a seven game series now i really want to see seven games of these two teams going at it and i don't know if it's because of the lack of the stars or because both teams are more relying on team play but that that's what makes it exciting for me and maybe the constant back and forth both on and off the courts but it'll be interesting to see game three is on friday evening so stay tuned for that Let's move on. We got the nosebleeds, one of our very rare L's that we're going to take right here. <laughs> but we went 0 for 2 on our 8 seed predictions. Uh, last episode, we talked about uh, the 7 seeds were already uh, in place. So the 8 seed game was being played in the playing tournament. And we actually both said that the Pacers and the Warriors are going to be the 8 seed. And we went 0 for. 
So we were both wrong because we both agreed with each other, and it was it was the Wizards and the Grizzlies. But currently, the Wizards are down 2-0 against the Sixers. Game three is on Saturday, and then the Grizzlies are uh, tied 1-1 with the Utah Jazz, and game three is on Saturday as well. But out of these two teams, these two eight seeds, which ones have you? Uh, which team is you have you enjoyed watching more? I would say Memphis, man, just because of the way that they they battled. I mean, taking out the Spurs, which you know not a lot of people are gonna say is impressive, but I'm like. You just hold the name. I mean, think about it. Like Popovich still, still around, still around, and so being able to do to do that. And bear in mind, this is a really young team. So them being able to show that mental fortitude to take out the Spurs, to take out the Warriors, and get a game off the number one seed in Utah, who granted don't have Donovan Mitchell, but hey, that's still the number one overall seed. And that's still a top seed uh, in the West. And so for them to be able to get game one and get a split, that, that, that's that been a hell of a start for them because I think that when and, – and you can talk to – like it depends on who you talk to. When I look at John Morant, I feel like he is – he's definitely a guy who needs to be confident. He's definitely a guy who confidence is key with him. And if he's playing confident, the dude can just play out of his socks. He can play out of his mind at times and that's when you see i think the best at a job and when you talk about him developing that confidence you could just slowly but surely see it getting better and better and bigger and bigger and bigger after they won that game against san antonio then they go to golden state they go up against steph curry mvp candidate warriors got the media behind them everybody expecting the warriors to go ahead and take out memphis and get that hc lo and behold this dude john morant is able to lead this team in Memphis who has a ton of young guys on there, Dylan Brooks, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. And, I mean, that was just an incredible performance. And the way he closed it out, too, like, Ja, who we all know his three-point shot is kind of up and down, but he was making some big-time three-point shots in that game against the Warriors. And I think that, like I said, his confidence needs to be at an all-time high if this Memphis team is going to get back to where it was before when they had Zebo, uh, when they had Marcus and when they had Mike Conley. And if there was any sort of doubt or you weren't sure or whether or not uh, John Morant could be that star for the Grizzlies, could – be that big name and f- make Grizzlies fans forget about Mike Conley. Um, I think that game against the Warriors kind of did it for me because he just, he just, the way he iced that game, I think was just like, damn, like he said, y'all got to go. He said, hey, he this literally is was our going, time to shine. He was literally going toe to toe with MVP. Exactly. So, so, I mean, like that's, that's kudos to him, man. I, and I feel like, yeah. uh, He's definitely got. He definitely raised his profile with that performance, in my opinion, and being able to get them into the postseason officially, because they could have easily, I think, gotten in there last year, but Dane was just too much for him. But the fact that he's had them in that in the playoff conversation back to back seasons, and now officially has them in the postseason, and they're making a little bit of noise against the number one seed. Hey, man, I think if 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 we get another couple years and Zion still hasn't made the playoffs, you're going to have a lot of people saying that, hey, uh, John Morant was the best player in that draft. 
again, I'm just saying, if Zion doesn't make the playoff, you're going to have people say that. You're going to see those headlines. And people are going to all of a sudden say, like, oh, Zion isn't who we thought he was. And John Morant was the best player in, in that draft year, in that draft class. Yeah, I think for me, it's got to be the Grizzlies, too. Um, they've been the most fun to watch, especially John Morant, like you said. Uh, game one, the Jazz didn't have Donovan Mitchell, which I did call. And I said this game was going to go uh, to five games because Donovan Mitchell wouldn't play game one. Um, so that definitely helped. But I feel like the Grizzlies have gotten a lot of help from their starters. Yeah, we, we talk about John Morant, but we got to talk about Dylan Brooks dropping 31 points in game one. And then Kyle Slomo Anderson. Uh, he's just but it, it, he plays so slow but it's so effective. I don't know how he does it. And hey, it, hey, hey, that's how he gets down, man. He I mean, hey, sometimes that slow-mo, he, he took a page out of Brooke Lopez's book. It was like slow and fast, slow and steady wins the race. Well, he definitely took a page out of the Spurs because he definitely plays like a Spurs if you if you watch his <laughs> game. So um, fundamentally sound. Absolutely. But um, I think I never thought I would say this, but I think the matchup between Jonas Valanciunas and Rudy Gobert is must watch TV. <laughs> I never it's definitely a, it's definitely interesting because after game after game one where Rudy Gobert was saying like, you know, the referees kind of like dictated the game. It was so funny seeing Chuck and Shaq go in on Rudy Gobert, especially Shaq. He was like, nah, man, nah, you, you just make an excuse. Well, Shaq, Shaq hates Rudy Gobert. Shaq absolutely hates oh Rudy my Gobert. God. But yeah, I never thought I'd say that literally watching two towers and strong players like those two would be must see TV, but it's basically they're playing each other to see who can get into foul trouble first, because that I think is the huge key for winning the series. Well, so far in the first two games is foul trouble. Um, Game one, Rudy Gobert fouled out Mike Conley, who Mike Conley, this is a game against his old team. And so are the series against his old team. And so far he's been having a hell of a series, Um, but he had five fouls in the, in game one as well. Obviously no Donovan Mitchell. So the Grizzlies won that one. And then game two, Dylan Brooks, who was the primary defender on Donovan Mitchell, he got in foul trouble all game long. And so was Valanciunas in the first half ended up the jazz won. And so, I mean, it's really just a, 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 chess game going on with the foul game because both of these teams are literally grit and grind teams that won't razzle dazzle you but they'll play the fundamental and they'll tough hard-nosed basketball um so this is a fun series to watch i don't think a 1-8 series like this even though if it, it does end that the jazz win the next three games i still think these next three games are going to be um some must watch tv and i didn't even mention john morant first of all First of all, he's only 21, which is absolutely insane to say. And then to drop 47 points in the playoffs versus the top three defense in the league. I mean, this kid's absolutely insane. You kind of hit the nail on the head with him, so I don't have to go too much into it. But if you do not know John Morant's backstory, I would look it up. Just literally a very, very low recruited player coming out of high school and going to mid-major college and then being the number two draft pick and then dropping 47 points on the number one seat in the NBA. So it, hell of a story for John Morant. Um, definitely, definitely look it up if you do not know much about it. All right, let's move on. Last thing in the NBA uh, playoffs, the most promising team who, because some of the teams that we didn't talk about, or maybe a team that we did talk about, because I mentioned, or we both mentioned the Milwaukee Bucks and how much they've impressed us. Um so, so what's your team that has impressed you the most? I would say, um, like you said, Milwaukee has been very impressive. 
Um, but I think Milwaukee will impress me when I see what they do against the Nets because that's something that is going to be telling on whether or not they're for real and whether or not, you know, because they got Drew Holiday not to just get out of the first round. They got Drew Holiday because they're trying to finally get over that hump and get to the NBA Finals. And they also, you know, got that dude, P.J. Tucker. So the fact that they got such a a defensive-centered team and they're potentially going to go up against a offensive juggernaut in the Brooklyn Nets – Oh, you you got you got to pencil that in is a series that you got to tune in and watch because there is going to be so much at stake, and I feel like a lot of the 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 pundits that have been whether you've been hyping them up or dissing them, you know, whichever one uh, are are going to be, you know, fully tuning into that series because the Nets, man, I feel like. You know, love them or hate them, I have I'm indifferent to them. I feel like their their biggest thing is is that if they go up against a team and their and their shots are not falling, their top three guys' shots are not falling. How is that going to impact you know their other guys? Because their other guys have been helping them out and, and bailing them out, you know, for majority of the season. Because you know, let's face facts: James Harden, Kyrie, and KD have not played a whole lot with each other. But we knew that wouldn't really necessarily matter. We just knew, like, how would that impact the team as a whole? So far, I mean, it hasn't really, you know, slowed them up or, like, tripped them up at all, you know. But I think it's tough to to get a gauge because they're going up against a team in the Boston Celtics that are missing a player, a key player in Jalen Brown, and really are not on their level. Now, the Milwaukee Bucks, I feel – depending on what day it is in the week could be on their level. Cause like I said, it all depends on Chris Middleton. And I feel like if Chris Middleton is going to decide to be the Chris Middleton, who has been an all-star and is capable of getting 20 points. And he decides that he wants to, to, to be that, that, that key scorer and that key offensive threat, then Milwaukee is definitely going to force Brooklyn and is going to cause them a whole ton of trouble, I feel. So I feel like they are a promising team to look at, and I feel like this could be the year that a lot of people look at them and they go, hmm, maybe they finally get to the finals this year. Maybe. That's why I did put money on them when I went to Vegas in March. After, after <laughs> I, I, I said it on this podcast. I was like, I don't know you what did, it was did. about that P.J. Tucker signing – that yeah. PJ Tucker signing was like them getting over the hump. I don't know if I was just like on some shit or whatever. Cause I, cause looking back on it, I was like, what the hell? Why did I make that bet? That was a little uh, dicey, but I mean, maybe I do know what I'm talking about sometimes. So <laughs> we'll see. But for me, I think the most promising team has got to be the Brooklyn Nets team is scary. And I've been all aboard the hype train on the Brooklyn Nets this entire season, um, given they're playing a depleted Celtics team with no Jalen Brown. But I think obviously on the offensive end, we know what they can do. But on the defensive end this series, it's been pretty impressive. Kevin Durant's looking like pre-injury Kevin Durant that was in the defensive player of the year conversation. And then Kyrie, when he gets on a hot streak, you can't really stop him. And then I feel like James Harden, he's not really playing to his full potential because he doesn't need to. He's chilling. Yeah, he's chilling. or maybe it's because it's playoffs. That's why he doesn't want no. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But, I mean, literally, this team can get you a buck in every which way. And then defensively, if they can just – 
somewhat play decent defense. I mean, good luck trying to beat this team because I didn't even mention their role players. You talk about Joe Harris, game two, he literally was looking like Clay Thompson, getting steals, <laughs> running up the court, catching the ball, and shooting it. And I, I don't mean to exaggerate when I say he was looking like Clay Thompson because he really was. And then Blake Griffin, he's showing flashes of old self. Yo, Blake Griffin's had some dunks, and I'm like – what what who like they might have gotten 2010 Blake like they well, might I'm have not, just gotten 2010 Blake. I'm not even saying the athleticism. I'm saying like the basketball IQ and like when we knew Blake Griffin mm-hmm. in I mean Detroit but also in LA in his latter years for the Clippers, homeboy was one of the best uh big men who can pass and you know, mm. handle the ball as yeah. well, too. So, I mean, when you have like let's say they go up against the buck, you got Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis on. KD, Harden, and Kyrie. I mean, it's going to be the hell of a matchup, but it's going to come down to the role players and Blake Griffin. If he can somewhat turn back the clock to not even just his athleticism, but his the way he played with uh, the Clippers and, and he, when he had that career year with the Pistons, it will be interesting to see. And I think that's a big reason why they got him in the offseason. And so, I mean, this team defensively, if they can just somewhat play decent defense, I think this team is going to be really, really hard to beat. Um, and it, I mean, if the sell, I mean, if the bucks and the nets meet up in the second round, it sucks that they're going to have to meet up in the second round. Cause I would have loved to see right. this in the Eastern conference finals, given the play that the way they're playing right now, but it will be interesting, but that's why the most promising team so far for me has been the, the Brooklyn nets. So game three for the nets versus the Celtics is on Friday night. So that will be some must-watch TV as well. All right, let's move on. We got the award prediction. Some of the awards have already been announced by the NBA. Sixth man of the year went to Jordan Clarkson, which Corey did call correctly in his uh, preseason prediction. Shout out to Worldwide World for uh, giving me the the sneak the sneak peek. Give me give me that because I I wasn't even thinking about Jordan Clarkson. I'll be honest with you, but then I was like, hmm. He does play for Utah, and, you know, the Utah's going to have probably a big year this year, and he's going to get a lot of shine, and he played well in the bubble. So I was like, hey, so shout out to Worldwide Wop for giving me that info and giving me uh, that, uh, that, that, that cool little fan duel update. This has been back-to-back years that the first place and second place voting or uh, sixth man of the year voting were on the same team. Last year, you had Montrez Harold and Lou Williams, and then this year, it was Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles. So, kind of crazy. We had another sixth, seventh man year award kind of thing going on, but yeah, he won sixth man of the year. There wasn't real much. There wasn't debate on this one. It was kind of clear-cut that Jordan Clarkson was the winner. And the most improved player was also announced, Julius Randle. We talked about the Knicks and basically what he's done for the Knicks. His numbers didn't increase drastically. Obviously, they all did increase, but not like crazy. But, I mean, Julius Randle has just been absolutely amazing for this Knicks team. I think the only other person who you could really debate was Jeremy Grant. But I think as his injuries and as the Pistons started to tank more and more, his minutes were getting depleted. So that's why the Knicks were kind of clear-cut runners. Uh, so those two six man of the year most improved player got announced. Uh, let's go through some of the awards that didn't get announced, and we're going to give you our predictions. So let's start off with rookie of the year, Corey. I know you had LaMelo Ball preseason. So is that who you're going to stick with? Of course, I got to stick with LaMelo Ball because uh, I personally feel like a lot of the voters are going to go with him simply because he is a media darling. And he did, even though he got injured, which is the only case I feel as to why he wouldn't win it. But before he was injured, 
he was the consensus, I believe, rookie of the year for a lot of people, and nobody really even would have touched anybody else as far as putting, considering him to be rookie of the year, other other than um, maybe uh, maybe Anthony Edwards. But I would say, like, this was LaMelo Ball's to lose until he got injured. Now, when he got injured, you kind of have to look at the impact I feel like he had on the team and that also happened on the team. You could also credit that maybe to also Gordon Hayward being lost for the season for the Charlotte Hornets, too. But I feel like LaMelo definitely, in my eyes, for the first half of the season, middle of the season, and then – maybe you know 50 50 toward the end of the season but for the majority of the season he was my rookie of the year so I gotta just gotta still stick with that and I feel like he definitely deserves it based off of what his impact was and based off of um the level of play that he had consistently throughout the course of the season because Anthony Edwards give him credit I feel like his rookie season kind of went up and down but I feel like he kind of hit he started hitting that rookie of the year type of form maybe middle of the season towards the end of the season. Yeah, I think the popular vote was definitely going to be LaMelo Paul. But like you said, just the fact that he went down with an injury and that during that stretch is when Anthony Edwards went absolutely berserk. And and that's why I'm going to give it to Anthony Edwards. He was incredibly, he was inefficient in the beginning of the season, but ended the season with 42-32-78 shooting splits while LaMelo finished 44, 35, 76 while finishing. And Anthony Edwards had three and a half more points per game this season. And I know rookie of the year doesn't really come down to team success. It's really about individual success when it comes right. to rookie of the year. So I get it if it was team success. And yeah, LaMelo would get it hands down. And I think before his injury, he was going to win it just because of the way he was playing. And like you said, absolute media darling. I think that's an understatement because they, <laughs> if they feel like he, they literally treat him like LeBron and you walk on water <laughs> yeah for real but um i think i, I just got to give it to anthony edwards played all 72 games this season which in itself is a feat <laughs> so that's that's a tough one to do and then for him just to see his entire growth the, the season and then come in and dropping 40 points on playoff teams out here so throughout the season there was periods where he didn't have carl anthony towns and d'angelo russell and malik beasley and you saw when those guys did start to play towards the end of the season it opened up the floor for uh anthony edwards a lot and i would say that is a argument for Lamelo ball because he's had gordon hayward he's had terry rogier mm-hmm. Devonte graham guys who are able to spread the floor to first of all give him assists and so second of all um, spread the floor and open up the game for him. So in the beginning of the season, without those three big guys for Anthony Edwards, it was kind of tough. But then I think when they came back, the game kind of slowed down for him and definitely helped him out. So that's why I'm going to go with Anthony Edwards. But if it is LaMelo Ball, I, I, I'm not going to be bad at all because I can see both <laughs> ways. But I'm just saying because he got injured and Anthony Edwards played all 72 games. Let's move on. We got coach of the year. Who do you have? I'm going with Monty Williams, man. I feel like the Phoenix Suns, I have said this numerous amount of times. I didn't expect the Phoenix Suns to have the season that they did. And regardless of whether or not they, you know, get bounced up by the Lakers, which, again, is not, you know, something to be ashamed of. I mean, it's defending champs, for God's sake. But regardless of what happens, uh, I think Monty Williams has had a hell of a season as head coach of this Phoenix Suns team. Now, granted, he did have – the 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 help of a, a player coach in Chris Paul, but I feel like 
you know, this is still an impressive feat for him, not only as a coach, but I think as a person. If you don't know about Monty Williams, definitely look up his story and look up what this man has been through. And I still remember him when he was with the New Orleans Hornets, New Orleans Pelicans. And I kind of just wish that he would have gotten that opportunity to have, you know, really proven himself. You know, he was on a short leash. You know, ultimately it is what it is, but I'm so glad he has been able to thrive and flourish and grow alongside this young Phoenix Suns team. And I feel like him being, uh, you know, I don't want to say a young coach necessarily, but I would say, you know, developing as a coach and also developing alongside this very young team. That's just a, a thing I feel like is a great thing to see and a great thing to look at. Um, uh, the, the key thing I feel that maybe separates him between the other candidates is the, the projection that the Suns had. I don't think anybody had the Suns finishing as high as they did. And I think that that kind of shows you the level of impact and that shows you how important him as a coach was this season. I'm going to do you one better. The Suns, in my opinion, I thought were projected to at least make the playoffs, but not finish number two, which I will agree. That's why, granted, Monty Williams is definitely a candidate for coach of the year. But in a year that everyone thought it would just be in the regulars, another season for the Knicks finishing outside looking in, they finished with the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. And that's why I'm going to give it to Tom Thibodeau. He was tasked with a young team, very young team that has him into the playoffs since 2013, which is eight years. And he coached this young core to be the best defense in terms of allowing the least points per game this season. So, I mean, obviously it's Tom Thibodeau, but I, it was looked as more as an experiment, whereas Monty Williams, this was his third season as the Suns head coach. Um, so, I mean, he kind of was, he kind of knew the, the vibe of the younger guys. Now you just added Chris Paul to it. Whereas Tom Thibodeau, he brand new head coach, thrown into the fire of New York and turned out that it was absolute success. And I, I think definitely Monty Williams and Quinn Snyder are a couple guys in the Western Conference that are well deserving of it. But I just think that Tom Thibodeau absolutely shattered expectations this season. And I like their matchup this, this round with the Hawks. That's why I had them winning it this uh, series. And I think they can give some serious problems to some of the top teams in the Eastern conference and give based on what he did in the regular season. That's why I got to give him coach of the year. Let's move on. We got defensive player of the year. Who do you have? I'm going with Rudy Gobert, the Eiffel tower, but I think it's not really a shock. I think the only thing that I guess you could have an argument and a case for is maybe Joel and B, but I'll, I'll, just say that I feel like consistently all season, Rudy Gobert has been doing what he knows best to do and why he's paid and what he's paid to do. And that's to defend the rim, make sure that you cause havoc and make sure that you are, you know, blocking shots, contesting and making sure that you're, you know, impacting the defensive side of the ball. He's one of the best at doing that, and I think that's why he's going to go ahead and collect another DPOY uh, award because he just seems that when you think that, like, you know, guys in this league are good at something, and he's good at defense, but he has even gotten better. I think you said uh, in the previous episode that he improved his blocks this year, and so – I think that him just getting better and better at what he does and it shows the level of 
of improvement on his end and it shows his willingness to show out and just get better at what he's good at and turn what he's good at into what he's great at. So I think that Rudy Gobert also had a major, major key reason why the Utah Jazz finished with the top seed in the Western Conference. And had it not been for his uh, his defensive prowess and his defensive presence, then they perhaps aren't in the situation in the seating that they are in. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I got Gobert. He's going to be looking to join Dikemi Mutombo, Ben Wallace, and Dwight Howard as the only players to win three or more defensive players of the year. So hell of some company to be uh, with uh, with those guys. But like you said, key stable reason for the Jazz finishing with the number one seed in the West and the best record in the entire league. So, but do I still think he deserves that contract? Hell no. I don't think he's deserving <laughs> of that. But he is definitely proven to the Jazz in the entire league that he is the best defense player in this league. Um, played 71 games. That in itself, like I said, that's that's a feature in itself that you can play without um, missing more than one game. Um, and then on top of that, he averaged 13 and a half rebounds and then a career high of 2.7 blocks per game, almost three blocks a game. So his presence in the paint is kind of insane. I don't know if you've seen him or if, if any of our listeners have seen him in person playing, but if you get the chance to watch the Utah Jazz play, just looking at him, it's kind of intimidating just because he just towers over defenders. And you can see the amount he alters opposing teams' shots and drives to the lanes and everything. It makes him make very, very tough shots. So, And that's why he's nicknamed the Stifle Tower, obviously, because he's stifling and he's French. So that's why they got I got Rudy Gobert as defense player of the year. Last but not least, let's talk about MVP. Who is your most valuable player this season, Corey? I think just looking at it from the, the totality of the season, I got to give it to Nikola Jokic. Now, if I wanted to give it to Stephen Curry, the only thing I guess that would prevent me from, from doing that is I think the only way I would probably have given it to Steph is like Steph needed to have probably like his needed to completely do better than, his uh, unanimous MVP year. And the numbers are very comparable. If you look at it, they're very, very similar. I think that the thing that kind of holds Steph back is the team success, which again, shouldn't necessarily matter in a most valuable player of the year award. But I think it does take into consideration. I think in my opinion, it does. In my opinion, it does. And when you look at the level of impact and look at the level of team success and also factor in a key injury for this team and Jamal Murray going down. I think that is exactly why Nikola Jokic really for majority of the season could never afford to take a night off. I mean, not saying that Stephen Curry, you know, could afford to take a night off either, but I just think that when it came down to it for the totality of the season, I would give it to Nikola Jokic. Now, granted in that second half of the season, I'm 100%. If this was like a second half of the season MVP award, it would definitely go to Stephen Curry because he was just not even on fire. You could just say he was he was fire. Like the dude was just setting big time numbers, was doing whatever it took to get the Warriors in that playing tournament. And I feel like he was definitely putting that team on his back and showing why he is a top tier player in this league. But like I said, for the totality of the season, I got to go with Jokic. 
Yeah, I'm right with you. I think the Joker's going to be getting his first MVP this season just because of how he carried this team to the third seed in the Western Conference. That in itself, and he's been putting ridiculous stats up day in, day out. 26.4 points per game, 10.8 rebounds, and 8.3 assists on 57-39-87 shooting splits. So it's it's incredible to see the numbers he was putting up day in, day out. And he lost his running mate in Jamal Murray late in the season and still managed to get the third seed in the Western Conference, which is incredibly hard to do. And I think like two other of my award winners, uh, he hasn't missed a single game this season. He played all 72 games. And for a guy to put up those numbers, play the amount of minutes he's played every single day and not miss a single game. That is huge. And then on top of that, to be a seven footer, 270 plus pounds, however much he is and to almost average a triple double. It's absolutely insane that he did that. So that's why Jokic is going to get the MVP vote from me. And other candidates you could talk about is Steph Curry, but I think him being in the eighth seed in the Western conference is why he wouldn't win it. And then Joel Embiid, he missed 21 games, so that's why he wouldn't get it. And then Giannis, I could see it's really the only other competition, real competition from in terms of you look at the numbers from when Giannis won his MVP season to now. They're very similar, and they ended up with a third seed in the Eastern Conference. But I think Jokic just had a tougher situation with the whole Jamar, uh, Jamal Murray incident. And then also, I think, with Giannis Antetokounmpo, it's kind of a voter fatigue thing because we know – Voters, they get real tired of voting for the same people year in and year out. So that's why I got to go with the Joker for MVP. And then also just to piggyback off of what you said, Steph was injured at some point. Joel mm. was injured at some point. And you could even argue that the level of impact that Joel had this season and what Ben Simmons had pretty much could go in tandem. Like Ben Simmons was right there as one of the, He's up for DPOY this year, and arguably he could be the Sixers MVP this year with the way that he was playing this season too. So um, I, so I feel like those two kind of like wash each other out on that. And then, like you said, with Giannis, butter fatigue. I don't know. I just don't know if they would want to give it to him a third year in a row. The dude would have to be going stupid. Like he would have to be averaging – you know, like crazy, crazy numbers. Which he, he did. Not like crazy, crazy, I'm not but saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, like, if dude had to be like... Like, if it was his first year doing this shit, you know he would have won MVP without a doubt. Yeah, and then also, if he... I think if he was, uh, if he was like, up there, maybe one or two in, like, um, scoring, uh, I think that would give, like, another case as to why they would maybe, like, try to give it to him. But, uh, like you said, I think it's voter fatigue. And then also, I just think, like, you look at the situation with the Nuggets and with Jokic losing not we didn't even mention him but losing a key player in Jeremy Graham too like and really having to you know figure out this new team and try to lead this new group of guys uh was was really key and I think you know even just looking at what he's doing right now in the playoffs is is very impressive to say the least absolutely all right, that's going to wrap up the NBA. Let's talk a little bit about the NFL before we wrap this show up because we got some big, big news. And let's start off with the biggest news probably, and that's Julio Jones. He was live on Fox Sports Undisputed when Shannon Sharp called him. And ambush, ambush. Yeah, he really did ambush. get ambushed. But uh, he was talking to him about, you know, if he'd uh, want to stay on the Falcons or go to the Cowboys and – 
uh, Julio Jones quoted, I'm out of there, referring to Atlanta. So the Falcons looking to move on from Julio Jones. Well, they don't really want to move on for him, but in the beginning of this offseason, uh, he requested to be traded just because, and the Falcons wouldn't mind just because of the salary. And they want to, he wants to be on a winning team. And plus, the Falcons are in semi-rebuild mode, so they can definitely use the salary cap um, that is getting eaten up by Julio Jones' contract. So uh, Atlanta's been reported looking for a trade suitor for Jones, but they are asking for a first-round pick in return for the superstar wide receiver. So let's look over Julio Jones's resume a little bit. First of all, he's 32 years old, wide receiver, made seven Pro Bowls, two all-pro teams. He made the 2010s all-decade team. And he's uh, been the receiving yards leader twice in the NFL. And this is crazy. He averages the most receiving yards per game in NFL history, 96 yards per game. And he ranks 20th in all-time receiving yards. So, Corey, where do you think Mr. Julio Jones is going to land, if he lands anywhere? Well, I feel if you're the Falcons, you probably – would not want to trade him to anybody in the NFC. But you at this point, I feel like with the Falcons, I don't necessarily even think that they're even worried about that. But um, you would obviously not want to, want to have to see this man. <laughs> you would not want to have to see him. But if you, if, if you come with the best deal and the best offer and the team that has like a really good assets that they can provide you, I would try to maybe look at potentially uh, the 49ers, to be honest with you, and look at what they could provide you. And I'm not just talking about uh, with draft compensation. They could maybe, because you you pick up a guy like Julio, they're going to have to sacrifice somebody. And I would think that they would have to sacrifice one of their um, defensive guys, I think, because you look at the 49ers, I think one of the things that they need to maybe get better at is on the offensive side of the ball because, you know, when they made their uh, their run to the Super Bowl a few seasons ago, you know, they did have a guy in Emmanuel Sanders and they did have, you know, a, a good defense and a great, I'm sorry, a great defense, but they had a, a decent offense that was led more majority with the run game and they didn't really have to rely heavily on the, the passing game all that much because, you know, Jimmy G was just kind of doing whatever, you know, it just was just managing the game. So I think you get a guy like Julio in, and I think that kind of puts San Francisco in, in, a, in a situation where it's like, yo, we we got to get back to the Super Bowl because we got Julio Jones and we got a, a, a top tier defense. And even though we play in the NFC West, I, I just feel like in that division, each team is trying to one up each other and they're always trying to make a move that will, you know, put them over the top, put them over the top because Arizona's coming LA upgraded with Stafford. Uh, Seattle's going to be Seattle because they have Russell. If you're uh, San Francisco, I think you just made a pick to pick up, you know, a young prospect in a, a, a quarterback. Why not help that young kid out by getting a top tier wide receiver in Julio Jones? Well, I will be damned, Corey. Well, first of all, let's talk about Julio Jones's salary cap uh, hit. So if Julio Jones leaves the the Falcons, he would get a $23 million cap hit to that to the Falcons. But his base salary is $15.3 million. So the team that he gets traded to would pick up that $15.3 million. 
And I, well, I said, I'll be damned is because I have the 49ers as well, too. And me and Corey didn't talk about uh, where he would land before. This is the first time I'm hearing him say the 49ers. First time he's saying he's hearing me say the 49ers. So with the 49ers, they have $17.4 million in cap space and Julio Jones base salary is 15.3. So right there, it works. The only real big contract they're tied with is Jimmy G. And they just drafted a quarterback with a third pick in the draft. I'm not saying they're going to trade Jimmy G to the Falcons, nah. but nah, I don't but, think the Falcons would want, would, would want Jimmy G involved in the uh, trade. Talks. But I think any team that definitely that involves Julio Jones would definitely have to restructure players contracts in order to meet the salary cap requirement, whether that's the 49ers or any other team. But whether the Niners go with Jimmy G or they go with Trey Lance, who they took with a third pick, I think Julio Jones would help either of those guys out incredibly in a big way. And they, if you look at their receiving core already, they have two young studs in Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuels and then George Kittle at tight end. So if you had Julio Jones to this receiving core, they would be, they would definitely be one of the best in the entire NFL. And like you mentioned, the NFC West division, it's a tough, tough division, probably the toughest in the NFL. And you see this division Every single team in this division will do anything to get the upper hand in any way they can. You looked at the Seahawks last year, got Jamal Adams. Rams got Matt Stafford this season. Cardinals got DeAndre Hopkins two seasons ago. So, And now J.J. Watt. <laughs> and J.J. Watt as well, too. Um, so, I mean, the NFC West, they, they are willing to make moves. So I, I could definitely see the 49ers go after a guy like Julio Jones. Let's move on to some other drama staying in the NFC, and that's Aaron Rodgers. That's been going on for about a month since the entire fiasco happened right before the draft. Um, but he's pretty much done with Green Bay. He's ready to move on. But the problem is the Packers aren't really ready to move on from him. But they kind of tipped their hat at moving on from him when they traded up in the draft last year to draft Jordan Love. So, so far this season, he hasn't reported to OTAs, which are optional, but also the entire starting receiving course skipped out on OTAs as well. So you look at Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Gantling, Alan Lazard, Devin Funches, and Equinemius St. Brown. They all sat out as well. So it's a real rocky ship in Green Bay, and Rodgers currently under contract through the 2023 season but uh he's already and he's already taking jabs at the organization's front office Mm -hmm. calling the Packers GM Jerry Krause uh saying it's a similar situation so what do you think is the future for Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers I think because a lot of people are kind of mixed about how they see it some people say that he he'll be he'll suit up and he'll play eventually he won't actually hold out I'm one of the people that kind of believe that Aaron Rodgers is on that Kyrie Irving level of timing where he does not care. Like he does not care what people think. He doesn't care how the media kind of looks at him. Like if he cared about that stuff, I think he would be trying to more so put paint himself in a better light than how I feel like the media kind of covers him sometimes. But ultimately I think this situation is like with, any like romantic relationship type of situation essentially the Packers were uh Aaron Rodgers girl and Aaron Rodgers you know caught them you know texting another dude and that dude was Jordan Love so he's pretty much looked like look we on a break right now you know I'm just I'm just doing me I'm chilling 
and the wide receiving core are pretty much like, you know, those mutual friends <laughs> of both of both parties that are caught in between. And they're like, look, we siding with our boy. That's our homie. You know, we trying to make sure that we all good. We're like, look, we we still in the organization. We, you know, we still got to play for the Packers. But ultimately, look, you know, if 12 not cool, then we not cool. And they understand if Rodgers ain't there, their chances of even sniffing a Super Bowl playoffs go drastically down because for all intents and purposes, I don't know the young man. I don't know how he plays. I don't even know how good he is, but everybody in their mama seems to be saying that Jordan love ain't it. He is not this next coming of Rogers. He's not Patrick Mahomes 2.0. It's not a similar situation at all. People are saying that this guy needs at least a couple more years to develop. He's still a project. He's this, he's that. So if you're hearing that, I just feel that the Packers are in a situation where they're literally that person that's begging the uh, other person in the relationship to come back. Like, baby, please come back. Come back. Like, it's all good. It's all good. Let's make up. And Roger's just like, I'll think about it. (laughs) I'll think about it. I think in terms of the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, I think it's the end of an era in Green Bay. I think the Packers are either going to have to trade Rodgers or I really think he'll sit out for the season, kind of like a Lev Bell situation. Um, So, I mean, if I'm the Packers, I better start getting on the phone, taking calls for Aaron Rodgers, because the longer they wait, the more their trade value is going to decrease. So, But but I think what sucks is that the timing of that report coming out on draft day and now it's obvious in the public eye everybody knows Aaron Rodgers ain't happy and everybody knows that he essentially wants out of Green Bay so I mean if you're a team and you already know that the player wants out you're going to be resilient and you're not going to try to give up a lot of key assets in order to get him because you know he wants out so I mean I think Green Bay kind of are just in a bad situation right here. And it's not to say it's not a solvable situation. It's not to even say that they necessarily have to trade him. But Rodgers, like I said, he's willing to sit out, bro. And I think he's willing to continue the shenanigans and just continue to to go on uh, whatever he's going to be on that, on that. I have to do whatever it takes to get up out of here. Like, not necessarily maybe burn the organization to the ground type t- type of uh uh you know willingness to get up out of here but i just feel like he's just he's just feels like on every level of the situation whether it was uh trust with the organization or trust with the front office he just feels like they haven't done all they possibly could to put him in the position to win a super bowl even on, uh, even on, I think maybe even a coaching aspect because deciding to kick a field goal instead of going for it, I think he feels kind of like uh, jabbed at with that. Like, why, why aren't you giving me the trust to to go for it in that situation? So, I think Aaron Rodgers is at this point. If I was him, I would just use this summer to, you know, keep to myself really and just relax, not really even think about football, not even think about the upcoming season, and really just you know stay ready yes but at the same time just relax chill um hang out with people that you know are close to you and love you and you know want to see you succeed and ultimately if if green bay comes calling if you're able to work something out great if not then hey <laughs> there's gonna be there's gonna be a, a a place in time where 
he's going to come back to the NFL, I think, just because of his name alone. And But the thing is, is like if he sits out and the Packers don't trade him, how much of a – like how big of an impact is that going to be him missing an entire season of football at his age – I think you know, he'll be fine. Is, it's, is that going to be good? It's, yeah, is it's, that, I'm, I'm, it's Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think is that I think that'll actually help him extend his career because he's not going to have to. He's going to go a season without taking all those hits. He's going to be able to go a season without you know exerting his body, and he's going to be actually able to preserve himself and extend his career for however many long years he wants to continue playing. Yeah, I, I think the reason why the Packers, that information came out right before the draft is probably because they leaked it before the draft because they're like, all right, if teams see this, maybe we'll get a better chance at a first-round pick because it's literally the day of the draft. So maybe we could stir something up. But I think he's definitely taking your advice in because right now he's in Hawaii with his girlfriend, so <laughs> living his life right now. So we'll see what happens. But I think – if you're a team that needs a quarterback, <laughs> Denver Broncos, <laughs> uh, I'm on the phone with the Packers, and I'm not hanging up until the deal's done. So it will be interesting to see what happens with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. But since That's we were sure. talking about the draft, let's uh, let, let's speak on it a little bit because it happened a while ago. It happened actually a month ago about, but uh, we never got the chance to get around to talk about it. So let's just talk about the biggest winner and the biggest loser of the draft. Corey, who was your biggest winner of the draft? I know this is going to, you know, not be too surprising, but it's surprising in the sense of you think about the history of this team and this franchise, and they absolutely, I think, made a huge, huge, huge move in the draft, and they did a really good uh, job of drafting, and that's the Cleveland Browns. I think uh, they definitely did their due diligence of certain – of, of, of helping themselves on the defensive side of the ball. Their first two picks, I think, were big-time, big-time picks, being able to help them out um, as far as in the quarterback position, linebacker position. I think the defense has always been, I don't want to say a big question mark, but it's just been a situation where they've always kind of been trying to figure out how they can get better. And they, I hope, I think, I really hope that they got better because this team, the Browns, after having the success that they did going toe to toe with the Kansas city chiefs. And, you know, maybe if the ball bounces a different way, you could even argue that they could have potentially made a run out of super bowl last season. Maybe, maybe, I think that's kind of, you know, you know, a little bit of a stretch, but this year, I think there's a lot of high expectations on them. And I think this is not just to make the playoffs this year. This is a win to the division this year. This is, try to see if you can get to the AFC championship game. And I feel like depending on how Baker Mayfield plays, if he plays like a, uh, an MVP candidate, this could be a potential feeling of we could win the Super Bowl this year. If you're in Cleveland, I think a lot of Browns fans have that hope, have that belief in them that this could be something special. And if you feel like this is something special, then you got to make sure that you plug all your holes. And one of their big holes was on the defensive side of the ball. And I feel like they definitely nailed that. Yeah, I agree with you right there with the Browns. It's definitely scary to see him this season. They actually drafted 
my sleeper and when we were talking about the draft jeremiah owosu koromoa they drafted him in the second round i was actually just surprised to see him slip that far in the draft and for them to snag him obviously me being a ravens fan i don't like it at all because they're division rivals but um yeah they, they definitely had a, an amazing offseason overall the the browns but for me i'm gonna go the biggest winner in the draft it's got to be the chicago bears i think mm. they spent a lot of draft capitals trading up to get justin fields and then trading up again to get tevin jenkins but those two guys right there are potential franchise changing players that could be worth it justin fields especially we want to talk about a guy who was projected the second overall pick throughout the entire college season and even at the end of the college season but i already gave my whole spiel on the on the mock drafts and stuff (laughs) like that yeah he was projected to be the number two pick in the draft and then even in the college football playoffs he had six touchdowns against clemson and somehow dropped all the way to number 11 and the bears probably made a good move in actually trading up this time and getting a quarterback and they got an absolute steal in justin fields hopefully matt Nagy just doesn't waste his career but i think fields is already a gigantic upgrade over mitch trubisky and andy dalton um whether he'll be a starter day one is kind of is unsure but i think for sure he'll be taking over the starting job sometime throughout the season so that's why i got to give the bears uh, uh an a on um drafting let's talk about the biggest losers in the draft who do you have uh this is not necessarily a team, but this is more so a player, and that's Russell Wilson. Because you look at the draft that the Seattle Seahawks had, and it was meh. I think they only had like three picks this draft or something. Yeah, they only had three picks. But, I mean, you know, that came from the fact that they had to give a lot of picks in order to uh, get Jamal Adams, obviously, and be able to get a lot of different of their uh, big-time players. But ultimately, just – and it's not just necessarily, I, I think, uh, the draft, but I feel like it's more so the entire offseason. Like, they, we all know the biggest issue with this team, and it's going to be even more of an issue with the fact that Arizona got J.J. Watt, uh, L.A. has Aaron Donald, um, San Francisco has... Uh, Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa, yep, yep. And I feel like it's just going to be a same scenario where... Russell Wilson is about to be doing that Patrick Mahomes <laughs> running it's about for to his be, life. It's about to be some tech mobile going to be running in he's circles. He's literally about to be doing Mike Vick level stuff where he's just running around to avoid any sort of sex because I, I don't know about the protection that he's going to receive from that O-line. And again, like a lot of people always want to say like, oh, you can't just blame the O-line, O-line, O-line. But you know, when you talk about the difference maker of being able to get a, a clean playoff and being able to provide holes for the running game or being able to uh, have enough time in the pocket to be able to dissect a defense, that's huge. And if you don't have that time, if you don't have that 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 ability to to find if you can't find your first option, second option, third option, by the time Russell Wilson gets to his third option, he's already taken off. <laughs> He's already taken off. He doesn't even have time to get to that third option. So uh, it's just unfortunate that they weren't able to address that position. Again, I get it. They, you know, use their draft capital to be able to get uh, a, a big defensive player, but their their biggest issue is O-line, man. And I think until they address it, they're, they're always going to be that team that relies heavily on Russell Wilson to get them in the postseason and relies heavily on Russell Wilson to, you know, get them over the top. 
But, I mean, there's a reason why the dude was having so many rumors about him wanting to be out of Seattle. It's because it's like, yo, yo, help me. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that Kevin Hart meme. Help me. <laughs> yeah, it it's going to be tough for Russell Wilson this season. Um, the team I'm going to go with is the Green Bay Packers. I know we just talked about them, but that's kind of the reason why they are one of the bigger losers. I mean, right before the draft, obviously, we talked about Aaron Rodgers wanting to get out of Green Bay. And then with all the Aaron Rodgers fiasco going on, they still didn't take a wide receiver with their first two <laughs> rounds to try to help him out and be like, okay, maybe come back. Because it seemed like with their first pick getting Eric Stokes, it was a big reach for their first pick in the draft. I mean, if they really wanted a cornerback that bad, I think Asante Samuel Jr. was would have been the better pick right there. But if not... <laughs> for receiver they could have traded up and taken Rashad Bateman which thank you they didn't because my Ravens got him but even (laughs) even if they stayed put they would have got Terrence Marshall Jr. Rondell Moore Elijah Moore all very solid wide receivers that could have fit in um first system so I mean I guess they did address some needs getting a center in the second round but it just seems like with some of the positions they did address there was better players than who they did draft so only time will tell whether these picks will pan out or not. But I think with the whole Aaron Rodgers fiasco and with how their first two rounds went, given some of their team needs, um, I'm going to give them an L for drafting this year. And I'll give you one, one little bonus one. I'll probably say the Steelers as well. They definitely kind of fumbled on that. Yeah, I think a couple of their picks. I will, The thing with I, – I, there's a lot of people that think that, you know, not – you don't need to draft a running back in the first round because they were one of the worst running teams. But the thing is they have, they don't have an old line that can create. Yeah. But Najee Harris. So it's like, how's he going to be able to be successful if he but I can't mean, get past the office of the line of scrimmage? If, if he, they can figure it out, Najee Harris is an absolute monster. So if it does work out, it, it Najee Harris getting drafted by the Steelers. So I was like, God damn it. I got to We got to see this dude two times a year. Unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, their O-line is a big problem. They lost a lot of guys up front, including one guy that the Ravens did take in Alejandro Villanueva. So it'll be interesting to see the Steelers. But, I mean, if the Steelers are having bad drafts, I'm not arguing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not arguing at all. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Nosebleeds. Appreciate you all for listening as always. If you guys are listening on Spotify or even Apple Podcasts, be sure to drop us a five-star rating. Yeah, yeah, saw that look. You thought I was going to say Apple Music. I know you I saw that look. I got it right. I said Apple Podcasts. <laughs> yes, sir. No, nah, but uh, leave us a five-star rating if you guys liked what you heard. Uh, write us a review if you're feeling generous. really helps us out. Make sure y'all are following us on our social medias, on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds that's k-n-o-w-s bleeds on instagram the nosebleeds and on facebook look up the nosebleeds podcast but other than that any last words Corey? nba playoffs fan stanley cup playoffs too and man i just i'm just enjoying the sports that we're getting right now and all the drama that's happening in the NFL and we didn't even talk about it but you know we didn't have time but MLB is also low-key popping off mm-hmm. too and I ain't gonna lie to you it's been All-Star a break. it's been a pitcher season this year it's been a lot yes, of sir, no hitters the no hitters been going off so I mean sports is popping right now 
summer is right around the corner, y'all. I don't know about y'all, but I'm so ready for it. Yeah, it's just crazy to think a year ago from today, we were just sitting at home with no sports, watching esports and marble racing and shit like that. <laughs> so, you know, times have changed, and I'm very thankful for the sports that are on right now. But other than that, we are out. Deuces. <laughs>